Hello and welcome to the Top Story, a podcast with the headlines of the day from our correspondents around the world. I'm Do Hongyu. Coming up in this edition, Chinese President Xi Jinping is in San Francisco to meet his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden and attend the APEC meetings. Hamas has denied the allegation that it uses Gaza's biggest hospital to operate command centers. And the African Development Bank has pledged nearly 800 million euros for earthquake recovery in Morocco. We start from North America. The presidents of China and the United States are preparing for their first meeting since last year's G20 summit in Bali. Chinese President Xi Jinping has arrived in San Francisco for the widely anticipated meeting with Joe Biden and attend this year's APEC meetings. Xi Jinping explains the significance of China-U.S. relations and possible issues up for discussion between the two leaders. As President Xi has mentioned before, U.S.-China relations is one of the most important bilateral ties in the world, and it matters much to world uh, world peace and world development. If we look at the numbers, China and the U.S. are the world's two largest economies, and speaking of the population of the two countries, combined total uh, will account to nearly one, a quarter of the global population. And speaking of trade, economic, economic cooperation and ties, trade volumes between the two countries accounts for one-fifth of the global volume. And San Francisco here in California, just California alone, uh, with the, the bilateral trade with China amounts to over 160 billion U.S. dollars, a lot of potentials ahead. And the two leaders are expected to talk, uh, exchange views on issues uh, like over the uh, uh, Taiwan trade, uh, about innovation, artificial intelligence to be more specific, and uh, they are going to exchange views on military-to-military uh, communications. And even some people would expect the two leaders to talk about uh, fentanyl. There are people went on the street voluntarily and holding up Chinese flags and American flags and uh, they are shouting welcomes to President Xi to San Francisco and they were playing uh, a very famous Chinese patriotic song Ode to Their Motherland and it was a pretty exciting scene to see actually. That was Xu Xinchen in San Francisco. Coinciding with the two leaders meeting, China and the U.S. have released a joint statement on their efforts to address climate change. They pledged to work together to control the global temperature rise. Climate is a major topic at the APEC week in San Francisco as world leaders converge and onlookers eye the developments in the energy sector and the growing electric vehicle marketplace. Andy Hirschfeld reports. This week, leaders will discuss the future of sustainability in the region, looking specifically at alternative energy sources. The U.S. and China are two major leaders in the sector. Now, China specifically has led the globe in solar tech manufacturing. Because of U.S. President Joe Biden's focus on developing America's electric vehicle network, experts believe this is a key place for increased cooperation between the two nations. Here's Stuart McIntosh, Executive Director for the think tank Group of 30. You've got Xi and Biden meeting for the first time in a year. Tensions are very high between the two countries. And yet the reality is they do need to both act on climate change goals to secure their own national goals. It's not just Biden. California Governor Gavin Newsom recently took a trip to China. This was in efforts to find new ways to collaborate. Here's what the governor said in a video released by his office. We have to define the terms of the future. We have to live together across our differences. I don't want to see this relationship 
deteriorate. There is no solution to the climate change crisis without the cooperation of China. During his trip, he toured Tesla's Shanghai Gigafactory. The governor also saw an offshore wind farm. Newsom signed climate pledges with several different provinces across China. McIntosh sees this as a promising development. I see positive steps. Would I like them to be faster? Yes, but I'm, I, I'm modestly pleased with the direction we're headed in, but we need to speed up. Meanwhile, sustainability efforts have been overshadowed by fossil fuels. Coal and natural gas still remain top of mind as the global north heads into the colder winter months. China is the world's largest producer of coal, and the United States leads the world in natural gas production. This comes amid those ongoing supply chain strains and OPEC production cuts. In June, the group of oil-producing nations kept cuts in place through the end of the year, and that means that other world powers have had to pick up the slack in the global market. This comes alongside the surging electric vehicle marketplace. The sector saw key growth in the United States, China, and in South Korea in recent years. The Biden administration put in place incentives as well for automakers to build more EVs stateside. Meanwhile, China ramped up its own domestic offerings. The country's NEV market is likely to expand at a compound annual growth rate of around 38% from 2021 to 2025, with the total market size reaching 13 million units in 2025. That was Andy Hirschfeld reporting on green collaboration between China and the U.S. Staying in the U.S., the House of Representatives has passed a short-time funding bill that will spare the government a shutdown this weekend. It scored a win for new speaker Mike Johnson. Lawmakers last avoided a shutdown at the 11th hour two months ago. Kate Fisher reports from Washington. The U.S. is a step closer to keeping its government open past Saturday. The bill needed the support of two-thirds of the House to pass, meaning the new House Speaker, Republican Mike Johnson, had to rely heavily on votes from Democrats. Some right-wing conservative Republicans refused to support the bill because it didn't contain spending cuts. In fact, far more Democrats supported the new Republican House Speaker's bill than members of his own party. With 209 Democrats joining 127 Republicans to clear the threshold needed for passage. That's an almost identical vote tally to that which led to the ousting of the previous Speaker, Kevin McCarthy. He also tried to pass a bill with no spending cuts and with Democratic support. The bill is in two stages, funding some government agencies, including veterans' benefits, housing and agriculture, through mid-January, and others, including defence, through early February. It does not include additional aid for Israel or Ukraine. That was Kate Fisher in Washington. Moving on to the Middle East, the Israeli military has carried out a raid on Gaza's biggest hospital, Al-Shifa, where thousands of displaced Palestinian civilians are taking shelter. This is the same hospital where Israel says Hamas is operating command centers underground. Hamas has denied the allegations. 
nor Harris in central Gaza has more. Over the past two weeks, actually, Hamas and its governmental office here in Gaza said repeatedly in several statements that there is no Hamas infrastructure uh, beneath the Ashifa hospital. There is no underground tunnel. It is all Israeli allegations and claims. They called upon the international community, called upon the United Nations to send any group of experts before this land invasion actually starts to investigate the fact that there is nothing inside the hospital, not, uh, hospitals, not only the Ashifa hospital, but also other hospitals that as well claim that there is tunnels like the Arantisi hospital and the Al-Quds hospital. We were talking to Ashraf Al-Qudra, who is the director of the Ashifa hospital, and also Dr. Munir al -Barsh. The latest that we got from them at the beginning of this invasion, that the Israeli tanks entered the Ashifa hospital, they shelled at some of the buildings inside the hospital. They took all the journalists and activists on social media in a room and they started investigating the uh, doctors. That was Noor Harrison reporting from central Gaza. Finally, in Africa, the African Development Bank has pledged 782 million euros for recovery efforts following the deadly earthquake in Morocco. About 3,000 people died and thousands of others were injured after a powerful magnitude 6.8 earthquake struck on September the 8th. Adnan Chawachi has more. Morocco's post-earthquake reconstruction plan has received a boost in the arm after the African Development Bank said it will commit 782 million euros to support the country's recovery following the devastating El House earthquake that hit the country in September. Moroccan economic observers believe the AFDB funds will help finance various projects, including rebuilding the most affected areas in the North African state. This loan is part of a whole package of loans and donations to help Morocco's recovery process, which requires the funds to rebuild following the devastating earthquake, which was unprecedented in five different areas. Morocco is now rebuilding houses so that people can resume a normal life. While committing the funds, the African Development Bank hailed the country's resilience following the earthquake, notably Marrakesh, which managed to host major events just weeks after the disaster. Civil society activists who have been involved in the wave of solidarity with the victims of the earthquake assert that the AFDB loan demonstrates trust in Morocco's recovery efforts. Morocco is viewed by international financial institutions and banks as trustworthy because the Moroccan state is keen on rebuilding the affected regions as soon as possible. Morocco's ties with African countries are also very strong. The AFDB loan proves that financial support will continue. Moroccan citizens say that rebuilding infrastructure is a top priority in the provinces of Al Haouz, Wurzazet, Azilal, Shishawa, and Tarudent which experienced the heaviest damage. Led by King Mohammed VI, Morocco is stepping up efforts to renew the infrastructure of the regions which were devastated by the earthquake. Morocco has the technical skills. The financial aid is necessary because the project is huge. In addition to the African Development Bank loan, the European Investment Bank said in October it will lend Morocco 1 billion euros over the next three years to support the country's reconstruction efforts. That was Anna Chawachi reporting. 
in the restive Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, renewed fighting between the government forces and M23 rebels has led to the collapse of a fragile ceasefire deal brokered by leaders of the East African community earlier this year. The fighting has displaced thousands of people at a time when the war-torn country is preparing to hold crucial elections. Chris Okamringa has more in Kinshasa. The clashes between the M23 rebels and Congolese government forces, backed by a coalition of local and international militiamen, erupted near the eastern city of Goma last month. It came after six months of relative calm in North Kivu province and led to the collapse of a ceasefire deal mediated by East African leaders earlier this year. Under the deal, all sides were ordered to immediately stop fighting. The M23 rebels were supposed to leave all the territories they captured and withdraw to a military barracks in eastern DRC, but they only left a few of the areas they were occupying. Both the DRC army and the M23 rebels have accused each other of violating the ceasefire deal. Meanwhile, the DRC government has expressed its frustrations with the East African troops for failing to protect citizens in the region from rebel groups, which is the very reason they are in the country. The country's foreign minister said the government will not extend their mandate after it expires on December 8th. They also asked the UN peacekeeping mission in the DRC to leave the country after their mandate expires on December 20th. Several regional and international leaders have called for a political solution to the conflict in the east of the DRC. But the DRC government seems determined to resolve it militarily. Many Congolese citizens have expressed their willingness to vote for President Tshisekedi for a second term if he succeeds in getting rid of the M23 rebels in eastern DRC. Presidential elections are scheduled for December 20th. The DRC government has now turned to the Southern African Development Community for help in restoring peace in the east of its country. That was Chris Okamringa in Kinshasa. Before we go, here's a recap of today's top stories. Chinese President Xi Jinping is in San Francisco to meet his U.S. counterpart Joe Biden and attend the APEC meetings. Hamas has denied the allegations of using Gaza's biggest hospital to operate command centers. And the African Development Bank has pledged nearly 800 million euros for earthquake recovery in Morocco. That's it for this edition of The Top Story, a podcast that brings you world headlines every weekday. For more news in politics, business, sports and culture, you can subscribe to The Beijing Hour, a one-hour podcast news magazine program. We welcome and appreciate all ratings and reviews. I'm Do Hongyu. Thank you for listening.